Abolition. Abolition. Six Semper Tyrannus. Forbidden knowledge can destroy mankind. I spend large hours of my days alone. I don't believe we share this universal space alone. I think we got a lot from them. They gave us phones, internet, and now we all know what is forbidden knowledge. Forbidden knowledge is too great for a man. Think if man can read your mind, you think that man understands? How to use it with integrity, not conquering land. Would it be good if we increase the lifespan? Well, that's forbidden knowledge. Forbidden knowledge can destroy mankind. We can grow out of control like cancer under the skin of Mother Nature. Busy cities, much alike to a tumor. Too many cells, the residents, the bodies polluter. I say Wusa and Ali Yupa, Chubby Doobie, the Jew, the child of Jacob. I know my history, I know we are moors. There's a universe in her afro. Hold us back though, there's a power in the black folk Well that's forbidden knowledge At first they want to keep us separate but equal But it's not, so we fight against the hatred and evil Now they let us think we got it and they killing our people Why does history repeat like a sequel? Well that's forbidden knowledge It's got a man watching TV like people Rewinding his favorite parts to playing back like a TiVo Have I wrote this shit before? It all feels like a redo And deja vu is left to die like our dreams do But that's forbidden knowledge I have some shocking memories as a kid Waking up onto a table, a lab, some type of biz Too vivid to be a nightmare, mom would tell me that shit Can't remember but anything that they did, yes, that's forbidden knowledge. They rang out in the neighborhood where the youth misunderstood Fighting over concrete squares where the laws just ain't no good I think the agenda's meant to kill us all Like what good is education long as you can ball Standing on the couch inside the club and hit the mall Billy feet a bum, but you buy it all I think they laughing at us Cause while we watching some cable They was talking about the economy, shit, croppers and staples How to keep a horse running his course Give him some blinders so that he lack like what most fools ever right beside him His own kind I pray you dig deeper if you don't Find what you're looking for on the surface The knowledge that you need can't be next to church If you every bit of worth it, not worthless You kings and queens were meant for better things Than flexing on the scene or birthing out the seams of your blouse That you told yourself you never wear outside your mama's highs Cause the energy your lens put strong women down Down Brother, look, you don't need to go to jail just to read you a book. I wonder what Malcolm found after going to Mecca. Or the mind state of Martin after visiting Selma. Two leaders that were slain for speaking the topic on the schemas and the reapers of forbidden knowledge. Forbidden knowledge. 
good evening and welcome to another episode of Live from the Plantation. I'm Brother Mikael. I'll be your guest host tonight until Brother B. Murasan gets in. Welcome, welcome. I want to open up tonight speaking about the new allegations in, in, in regards to the case of the assassination of Malcolm X. And as I get into that, I want to shed some light on a few details of his life and see if I can get a conversation going and see where the people are at, how they feel about this subject. So as I pull this up, it says, new allegations surrounding the death of Malcolm X have surfaced in a letter written by a former New York City Police Department officer on his deathbed. The officer in question is Ray Wood. On January 25th, 2017, Ray Wood, who was serving as an undercover police officer on the day of Malcolm X's death, wrote a letter in which he admitted he participated in actions that in hindsight were deplorable and detrimental to the advancement of my own black people. When Wood was hired by the NYPD in 1964, his job was to infiltrate civil rights organizations to find evidence of criminal activity so the FBI could discredit the subject and arrest his leaders. Wood wrote this in a letter obtained by ABC News. Wood's handler devised the arrest of two of Malcolm X's key security detail members in a plot to bomb the Statue of Liberty days before his 1965 assassination. The plot involved three members of a black terrorist group and a Canadian woman who were planning to dynamite the Statue of Liberty the Liberty Bell, and the Washington Monument, the New York Times reported on February 16, 1965. It was my assignment to draw the two men into a felonious federal crime so that they could be arrested by the FBI and kept away from managing Malcolm X's door security on February 21, 1965, Wood wrote. At that time, I was not aware that Malcolm X was the target. Malcolm X was assassinated in Manhattan's Audubon Ballroom while addressing the Organization of Afro-American Unity on February 21st, 1965. Before I finish this piece, I'm going to let you know I'm going to come back to speak about that OAAU, Organization of Afro-American Unity, and the ramifications and implications of it. Three members of the Nation of Islam were convicted of this murder. Wood alleged in the letter that his actions on behalf of the New York City Police Department were done under duress and fear, adding that he could have faced detrimental consequences if he did not follow the orders of his handler. After witnessing reportedly reported brutality at the hands of my coworkers, the police, I tried to resign, he wrote. Instead, I was threatened with arrest by pinning marijuana and alcohol trafficking charges on me if I did not follow through with the assignment. Wood wrote that as he faced failing health, he was concerned that the family of Thomas Johnson, one of the men convicted of killing Malcolm X, would not be able to exonerate him after Wood died. Johnson was arrested at the Audubon Ballroom the night Malcolm X was killed to protect Wood's cover and the secrets of the FBI and NYPD. Mm. Wood placed his full confession into the care of his cousin, Reginald Wood Jr., and requested that the information be held until after his death. It is my hope that this information is received with the understanding that I have carried these secrets with a heavy heart 
and remorsefully regret my participation in this matter, Wood Rope. Wood's cousin, who wrote the book Ray Wood, The Ray Wood Story, published earlier this month, described Wood to Good Morning America as a good man that was tricked and forced to betray his own people, and he felt ill and remorse for that, Reggie Wood said. Last year, the New York City District Attorney's Office launched another investigation into Malcolm X's death and those convicted after the documentary Who Killed Malcolm X aired on Netflix. In response to an ABC News inquiry, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office stated, our office's review of this matter is active and ongoing. The FBI did not respond. Civil Rights Attorney Benjamin Trump described the review into Malcolm X's death as restored to justice. This is the only way we can bridge this divide, Trump told GMA. We have to have transparency, present accountability, and that's the only way we'll ever get to trust. In agreement, Derek Johnson, president and CEO of the NAACP, told GMA that far too many African Americans who have stood up to voice, to voice equality and justice in this country have found themselves being persecuted, prosecuted, or in the case of Malcolm X, assassinated. Mm. Now, with that being said, everybody knows Malcolm X. Everybody knows his story. Most know the history. But we rarely dig into the intimate details of it. And tonight, I want to do that just a little bit and then pick the brain of the caller. This is something that I want the people to get involved and engaged in. Malcolm X started off as a member of the Nation of Islam. When he first got Savior's Day aired on television, black and white TV back then, early 60s, he he had a million black people, women dressed in MCT uniforms, men dressed in FOI uniforms. They were trained. They were were standing at attention. They They were ready. And they were standing on their screen calling the white man the devil. But they were not considered a threat. A million black people dressed up and ready to go calling the white man the devil. And they was not considered a threat. Later down the line, this same man evolved, learned more, experienced more, went outside the country. Went to Mecca, made hard, seen all types of different people from different backgrounds and demographics doing the same thing. And then he got a little more deeper in his understanding. Long story short, this man came back and created what I was just speaking to you earlier about, the OAAU. The Organization of Afro-American Unity. And he said that he created this organization because he understood that there were many poor and oppressed people, that the game was bigger than what he had formerly understood it to be, and that it was a game that was pitted against all people of the lower class of the poor and oppressed demographic. So he wanted to create a broader platform in order to allow people that were Christian, uh, people that were of different uh, 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 belief to come together on the same platform under the same common cause, freedom and equality. This is when he became a threat. This is what got him killed a month, much more. But we see this trend continue. 
Martin Luther King was Christian, was only for protest, no physical action. Later down the line, his understanding of this process changed, though he already had the understanding of bringing the people together. His understanding about the action involved in being, bringing the people together changed. In 1968, a direct quote from one of his last speeches is this. Martin Luther King said, a riot is the language of the unheard, a crude language, one easily condemned, but one that we dismiss at our own peril. So you can see from his own words that his understanding had changed. He had done witness the assassination of Malcolm X after his transition. So he understood where the threat was at. And at the same time, you'll see the exact same thing happened with Martin. 1968, Martin was the originator of the Million Man Marches, the creditor to Minister Farrakhan. He was taking a million people from every demographic, though. He was taking the poor whites from the mountains. He was taking the, poor, the Native Americans, the poor blacks. All of them were marching on Washington. That was the threat. Got him killed before he could ever do it. Again, Fred Hampton, he even spoke the same words that Malcolm X spoke in regards to this understanding as he went about doing the exact same thing, uniting not only the gangs amongst his demographics, but also uniting them with the poor whites and the poor Latinos. He was murdered for this. You see the same trend, the same trend, the same trend. We're never a threat just by ourselves. They'll lock you up, let you rot away in a cell if you're just dealing with your own people. They ain't even going to waste a bullet on you. But when you bring the poor and oppressed lower class being slaves together, regardless of color, regardless of religion, then you then created that weapon that they not prepared to, to defend themselves against. So with that being said, I want to open up to the callers. I want the people to tell me tonight how they feel personally and, re- and, and in their own words and from the bottom of their heart, how they feel about unifying and organizing with other American citizens of different demographics for a common cause and purpose. All of us on the bottom of the totem pole, you got 330 million American citizens. Only 1% of them qualify to be accredited investor. 1% of them have more wealth than the other 99% of us put together. And we are subject to the caste system at all times. It enslaves us, some more than others. So I want to know if someone, if the idea or the, or the solution to that was us coming together for that particular purpose, could you do that? Would you do that, and how would you do that with other people of different demographics of your country? Call us, please press one. Let us know how you feel. Let us know what, what you think. Uh, if you want to participate in the uh, conversation, the number is 515-605-9814, 515 515- Six zero five nine eight one four. Remember to press one on your keypad so that we know you have a question or comment. Nobody has a hand up at the moment here. Okay. So while we're waiting on a response to the question at hand, I also would like to speak on Senate Bill seven seventy five that was introduced by Senator Becker in California uh, Senate February nineteenth this year. 
Now, this is an act to amend 1170.95 of the penal code relating to murder. Okay, so now it was introduced by Becker that felony murder resentencing. Now, existing law authorizes a person who has been convicted of felony murder or murder under the natural and probable consequences theory to file a petition for the court to vacate the person's sentence and resentence them when specified conditions apply. Now, this will be posted later on in, in, in its entirety because there's, there's many, many more aspects to this. But I was excited when I first seen this, and then I thought about it, and I said, oh, let me track this out. I said, that's a California. My, I sent it to my brother. He said, that's a California Senate bill. So my question to listeners in regards to this is we need, we need to apply this same bill everywhere. We need this bill in Alabama. We need this bill in Mississippi. We need this bill in Georgia. And I'm going to tell you why. I personally myself am, a, am affected by this misconception in regards to felony murder in Alabama. I should not be charged with a murder charge at all. I've never in my life been charged or been found to be in possession of a weapon or have hurt a person myself with a, with in any form or fashion. But the way they have it structured, they have it structured where they can rope you in with somebody else and charge you for the same exact thing. And this is exactly what this legislation is fighting against. This legislation. The people of the state of California do enact as follows, Section 1. It says a person convicted of felony murder or murder under a natural and probable consequence doctrine, attempted murder under the natural and probable consequences doctrine, or manslaughter, may file a petition with the court that sends the petitioner to have the petitioner's murder conviction vacated and to be resentenced on any remaining counts when all of the following conditions apply. One, A, a complaint, information, or indictment was filed against the petitioner that allowed the prosecution to proceed under a theory of felony murder. Murder under the natural and probable consequences doctrine or attempted murder under the natural and probable consequences doctrine. Two, the petitioner was convicted of murder, attempted murder, or manslaughter following a trial or accepted a plea offer in lieu of a trial at which the petitioner could have been convicted for murder or attempted murder. And three, the petitioner could not presently be convicted of murder or attempted murder because of charges to Section 188 or 189 made effective January 1st, 2019. So the petition shall be... Okay. Bring me in, Matt. Okay. Uh, 2161. Your line is open. You are live from the plantation. Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. You can hear me? Yes, sir. We can hear you, brother. Come on with it. Okay. I didn't want to interrupt you as you was talking about this law in your case. I was calling in to respond to the question or the observation. Uh, that you put out. So if you want to finish that, man, I, I don't know. No, mind. sir, I want to hear what you have to say. Please tell us what you got to say in regards to that. Very important to get this conversation started. Okay. Um, well, my name is Scotty. Max knows me. Um, 
I'm the founder and creator of Black Talk Radio Network, also founded New Abolitionist Radio, Amateur History Buff, um, particularly African-American history. And I came to the, I made the same observation that you made. As long as you was out here talking about the white man is the devil and this, that, and that, and the other, and we want to separate and this, that, and the other, but never taking any kind of concrete, tangible action towards your goals, and you're basically just operating as any other religion operates, giving sermons and, you know, your sermons just, you know, uh, taught, or your doctrine just taught that white people are the devil. They were created in the last. No, the U.S. government wasn't worried about that. The white supremacists wasn't worried about that because you were in alignment with the white supremacists, and that's why they never did anything to you. Um, and But you're right. Um, when MLK started building the Poor People's Campaign, which was for everybody, uh, regardless of skin color and all of that, speaking out against the Vietnam War, giving speeches to white poor whites in Philadelphia, telling them that uh, the, their American dreams have been uh, uh, destroyed on the battlefield of Vietnam, you know, and, and all. Of, and so, man, I'm right with you. Um, I can't. I didn't come to that conclusion lightly. I came to that conclusion over a number of years, and. I also think I also think that there's some well-known people um, that it may not be right when they die, but when they die, it may take some years. But we're gonna find out about some more informants and what have you uh, of people like that. So I'm I, I agree with you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you, brother. It go. I feel like that coalition, regardless of skin color. Um, goes all the way back to Bacon's Rebellion. That's when it was mostly non-color. It didn't matter what color you was, but everybody could be entering into these contracts as indentured servants or getting sentenced to indentured servitude, but you had a contract. And then when all of those uh, exploited workers banded together in what's known as Bacon's Rebellion, that's when they hit us off with white supremacy. Oh, we're going to create a race called white. We're going to call everybody else black or, you know, non-white. And then we're going to uh, make this a race-based slavery. We're going to, you know, flip it to race-based slavery instead of, you know, uh, uh, indentured servitude for all. And that's the way they broke up that coalition. So I, you, I, I will be interested in hearing your feedback on that. Bruh, you just opened up the door to Pandora's box. So now, thank you very much for your comment. And I, I like so much of what the brother said. First thing is, he's a historian. You got it. This is the quote that Fred quoted Malcolm on. Said a man that doesn't know his history is doomed to repeat it. Secondly, he said that he did not come to this conclusion lightly. Neither did I. You have to study the history, and you have to be tried every variable in place in order to come to this conclusion, because please believe, if I had my way, if I could just swipe my hand and do what I wanted to do, I'd take us back home. I'd rather go back to Africa, but we've seen how that turned out. You got 45 million black folks in a demographic of 330 million in a nation that's enslaved, that the, 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 the entire uh, uh, currency of the world is being held up off of their blood, sweat, and tears. So 
you thinking you're going to get them 45 million people safely in a boat across them seas is, is erroneous at best. See what I'm saying? So we're talking about viable options. See what I'm saying? We're here now. we all here, regardless of how we got here. It's 2021. we all of a certain common understanding, regardless of what our ancestors went through before we got to it. See what I'm saying? So in regards to what the brother said about the indentured servant, we all seen this with uh, uh, the Dutch West Indian Corporation. We understand when the first white man and black man ran. These are documented court cases, too. You, you can pull this up. You know what I'm saying? His name was uh, Simon Congo, John Angola. So now these folks ran off. And when they was caught, you see what I'm saying? The white man was only given five more years of indigenous servitude. Black man was given life. You seen the first split there. See what I'm saying? Then in regard to them switching up and using us as the main cash crop, meaning black people as the main form of slavery, uh, was because of our inability to blend in and get away. So it was more about our, our, uh, their, their ease at keeping us enslaved than anything because they would enslave whatever they could. It, it, it's in the history of man. So you'll see the first document written on trying to transatlantic slave trade was by far the worst slave trade in history. And once information spread around the world and you came into the era of the information age, telegram and such, you know, they had to try and justify this thing. And you have the book called The Letters on Virginia, written by one of the founding fathers of this country, Thomas Jefferson. And it states that the Native American was a Caucasoid that had got trapped in the wilderness of North America and became uncivilized, but he could be re-civilized. And it stated that we were inferior and couldn't be civilized because of three dimples in the back of our head. You see that in the, the movie Django. Long story short, this is why the Native American was given a chance to adapt, but they adapted too well. You go and look at old pictures of them. They weren't wearing feathers in their hat with with uh, teepee, living in no teepee, these folks were wearing the same suits the white folks was wearing and took to their way of life like a fish to water. That's why they took everything from them and kicked them out, which is known as the Trail of Tears. That was initiated because of the success they had gained in the understanding of the, of, of, of the European lifestyle and culture. They adapted to it like a fish to water. So long story short, we know the history. You know what I'm saying? And when you know the history and you see all the tactics that have been applied and tried and you see what didn't work, what didn't even make them blink or bat an eye, and then you see what got a man killed immediately every time, and it was a force to be reckoned with, and it's written down in the history, written down in the history book, you start to understand and put the, the idea together, yeah, I got to bring these people together because that's the only thing that's going to get these folks foot up off my neck. See what I'm saying? It don't take no rocket scientists to figure this out. The question in regard to the understanding that we have is how do people feel about this and do they think it can be done? Will you as a Christian work with a Muslim to get the oppressor's foot off your neck? Will you as a white man or a black man work with another white or a black or a Chinese or another person of the same of a different demographic in the same situation as you to get the oppressor's foot off your neck? I want to know how y'all feel about that. Please call in. Well, you know, Malcolm said that. Malcolm said that the coming war will, and I'm paraphrasing him, but he said the coming war is not going to be based on skin color or race. It's going to be the oppressed versus the oppressor. That's the war that he saw because he seen that there were 
especially young whites who was willing to partake in revolutionary, you know, activities. But I'm going to close my call with this. Let me, let me make it plain for people. Now, you think about taking it back to the FBI COINTELPRO war on black so-called civil rights organizations, um, but you think of all the organizations, black organizations you had during the 60s, uh, entering into the 70s and even the 80s in the Black Panthers uh, Party case, and you think of I've only I only know of one organization that survived. Now you got to ask yourself why that is, and I, I, I'll continue to listen. Y'all doing a great job, brother. You already know why it is, brother, and we already know what's going on. These folks are not posing a threat. If they was posing a threat, they would have already been set down and wiped out, period, in the discussion. That's how it goes. But it's 2021, and anything rising to the occasion in this day and time with authenticity would not be set down and laid to the side. See what I'm saying? So that's the whole reason why we want the people to get involved in this conversation, because we need to know how you feel about this. We need to know what will it take to get you to sit at this table. What will it take to get the poor and the hungry and the, un- the, the unemployed, the, the oppressed, the enslaved, the jailed, the undertrodden? What will it take to get you to sit together at the same table and snap your fingers and get these folks' foot off your neck? I want to know. Do we have any callers, Matt? Uh, we have some callers, but no one has their hands up. If you want to join in the conversation, please press the number one on your keypad so that we know you have a question or comment. There's a hand up, Matt. There's a hand up, Matt. Okay, go ahead. 0916, you're here with us on Live from the Plantation. 0916. Hey, everybody. This is Lulu. I'm just calling in because what you all are talking about is exactly what Um, The brothers from the inside of South Carolina have elected to go to in regards to our community summit coming forward. Um, The idea behind having everybody be a part of something um, is exactly what the whole purpose and mission is. You know, we've been working really hard and trying to organize in a place that has never really been organized. Um, And so just in, in part with working with everybody from the National Freedom Movement this is what they have elected in the way that they have elected to kind of take the summit, the parole, um, the parole watch or, you know, whatever we're calling it um, with the national freedom movement and try to kind of add a spinoff or a caveat to that to basically say in South Carolina, we've never really organized as a team. We've never really organized under unity. We haven't had this many groups of different people willing to come together at one time. But what I'm finding as I'm organizing on the outside is that, you know, I'm able to connect with the Christians. I'm able to connect with the the, the imams from the masjids. I'm able to connect with different lawyers and, and different legislators and people have been providing a lot of positive feedback because they know that it's going to take all of that in order for us to come together. And so it's just refreshing to hear you talk about it because initially when we kind of put it out there, people are like, well, how are you going to do that? That's not really what this is about or that's this. But this is what has been come up in, you know, in South Carolina, and people are very excited. You know, it's giving people hope on the inside to see people joining forces on the outside, and not just with, 
you know, your mama and your brother and your third cousin, but, you know, the ACLU, you know, Justice 360, different organizations that, you know, have credibility in change making in regards to kind of working together to help the people. You know, we're talking about being in a state where, and last week, Wednesday, they passed a bill talking about a heartbeat is important. And then this week, Wednesday, they're passing a bill to, you know, further push um, electrocution because they don't have the means to do lethal injections. And so we, we're we definitely trying to get out there as a community to bring forward and be a force to let them know there's enough of us out here. We demand, we require, we need change. And then also with them seeing us all together, it's like they know that it's a people's, the people's world. Like, look at all these voters out here. Look at all these people, especially as they get ready to move into a, a new legislative season. So I just wanted to call and say y'all got me hyped up <laughs> while y'all were talking about all of this. And I just wanted to share because that's absolutely the vision of those on the inside of South Carolina that they've been really, you know, pushing for as we kind of put this thing together. Thank you so much, Lulu, and, and you got me hyped, and you finna make me go in and saying a few things that men get killed for, but here it is. The same people that funded capitalism funded communism, man. So while you go and you jump behind all of these slogans and all of these different ideologies, understand that these people funded both ends of the spectrum, and they did so because they know in order to keep control, they must control conflict amongst the lower masses, control the economy, and they lawmakers, and they have implemented that to a T. So they, they, they lobby our politicians. They pay, bought and paid for, you know, whatever bill comes up, whoever paid them, they know how they voting on it before they go in there. They control conflict amongst us in the lower class. They created the idea of race and racism with the transatlantic slave trade. This is a known fact. In order to justify the transatlantic slave trade, the poor white man was mad because he couldn't get paid a good wage to do what the black man was being enslaved to do for free. Everybody was being ran on in one form or fashion or another. Though some were being ran on way worse than others, it doesn't take away from the fact that all of us are being used as pawns in the 1% chess game. End of story. What are you going to do about it? What will it take for you to be able to sit at the table with this man that indoctrination has made you despise for no reason? This man that you have never even sat down and had a conversation with. This man that you have no understanding of, that you don't know what he's been through. You sit down and have a conversation with some of these people, and you'll find that you identify with them on many levels. You'll find that you have had the same experiences, the same trials and tribulations, as you come from the same dark corners of this country. You'll understand that you are each other's strength. You'll understand that you have to stand together in order to get these folks put up off of our neck. End of story. You don't have to love, like, or be my best friend in order to come together to achieve this common goal and purpose. So I want to know from the people, please, hit one, speak, tell us, how do you feel about this? What will it take? How much more do we have to go through? We know where we're at in the call of the system. We know we're at the bottom of the totem pole. What's it going to take? Uh... You got Savannah on the line, too. She might have a picture okay. as well. Savannah, please, come on in. Hey, 
Hey, y'all. I'm just sitting here listening. Um, first, I, I want to uh, say thanks to Lulu for calling in. Um, I've been keeping an eye on um, everything that uh, the coalition in South Carolina is doing and the work that they're trying to do uh, in regard to parole reform and just transforming the justice all around. Um, but this is a really uh, great conversation to have, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with the new revelations that came out um, in regard to the way that Malcolm X was essentially assassinated by the government. Um, but I do think it's important, you know, us as organizers and activists um, always remain true to the movement, right? Um, as we're trying to build coalitions and, you know, build relationships, we always have to be mindful that we're not always in the same space at the same time. And, you know, like you said, you may be sitting next to someone who you do have more in common with um, than you may have thought. However, if we don't open those lines of communication, right, if we don't begin to have those conversations, right, we'll never know. And you ask what needs to be done. Um, the only thing that can be done is action, right? We, we've talked enough. You know, we've reported enough. We have studied enough. We've got enough data, right? We know what harm has happened to the community. We know, you know, what good has happened to the community. But at what point um, are we going to take action, like, as a unit, right, and not wait for the people who are always on the call, the people who are always meeting with the legislators, you know, the people, the religious communities who are always active to do something and do the same thing, right? At what point are we going to come together and really prove that there is true strength in numbers, you know? Um, so, so my answer to that is action, right, action on all parts, um, because we've listened enough and, and just, quite frankly, we've talked enough, honestly. Thank you so much, Savannah. And I, I want to point out a process because I, I, I was trying, I, I'm like a mad scientist, and I'm always trying to find a way out for I'm always trying to find a way for us to get from up underneath the thumb of the oppressor. I brainstorm, put pieces together, throw things out there to get an idea of how the people feel about them, and that's why it was very important for me tonight to hear feedback on this particular subject. But while we wait on Brother Binu, I'll just throw out what I have accumulated, what I've come up with so far. And that is what the sister Savannah just said about action. Action and organization. The people who were killed for bringing the lower class together didn't just talk. They had action behind their talk. You know what I'm saying? There is no uh, speech that you can give that would not be respected without action. No people has ever gotten their freedom in the history of mankind with picketing and, and 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 talking. It just hasn't happened, and I'm sorry to say that. And I'm not encouraging nobody to anarchy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you must have a plan of action to ensure that your voice is heard. So you see Martin Luther King and them did this. They got arrested. They did things 
that put them on the front page news, they got their word out across the country, they spread their ideology. That's what I'm talking about. You have to have action to put power to your words. And the men and women who sacrificed themselves and were killed because of this, they had action that went with their words. So in regards to what I see, I see we need to cultivate this understanding our family. We need to teach the truth in our household. We need to open our eyes and be real about the situation and the true reality that we all face every day, waking up as Americans, as citizens of the free world. We represent something to entire. Let me show you something. If you, if you go across seas right now to a country that hates America and they want to take revenge against us, they're going to snatch you up. They don't care if you black, white, if you this, that, the third, all they know is you an American citizen. They'll snatch you up. See what I'm saying? We got to come to that reality. We got to call it there. that. Come on. Oh, okay. Please bring them in, man. 9520, your mic is open. Good evening, family. Brother Mikael, great subject. Mike, um, man, I'm glad you're feeling better. You sound better. And Savannah, good evening to you, miss. I just want to say thank you. I couldn't have said it better, and I don't think nobody else could have said it better, Savannah. It's uh, like you said, we did enough research. We did enough study. We, we, we know what's going on, and it's time for action. And, uh, and I want you to know that I stand in agreement with what you said. And uh, people are, have died. People are still dying. And until we actually just come together and take action, these things are going to keep occurring. And I just want everybody to know, my family members to know tonight, that I was on last week as well, and I didn't get a chance to come in and say hello. But I want you all to know that I stand in solidarity with, you know, with Free Alabama Movement and what we got going on with the coalition and everything. And, Mike, thank you, my brother, for allowing this and for making this uh, possible for us to be here. And, again, Savannah, thank you for being faithful. And, Brother Mikael, like I said, my brother, you got a great topic going on. And um, we can sit here and talk every Thursday, but it's time for action, y'all. I mean, we living in extreme times and extreme measures, and it's going to call for extreme action, and it's time. And I peace with that. Y'all be blessed and have a good night, and peace, they say. Peace, my brother. Thank you for saying man, on everything. Blessings, man, blessings. But that, 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 that's it. He said, you know what I'm saying, We're not to get long and drawn out because these are the things that we got to take the lessons from our ancestors. They didn't gave us the game. These people paved the way. They sacrificed their life for it, man. And I'm just really distraught about the fact that we don't take that into consideration more. It was a time where right here in the Alabama Department of Corrections, that uh, you they was having Jumar in a closet that the community was sharing one one Quran. You know what I'm saying? It was a time, man that we didn't get an education that allowed I, you know how many people I taught how to read at the max camp? You know how many 40, 50, 60 year old men I taught how to read at West Jefferson and St. Clair? Grown men, men old enough to be my granddaddy and they couldn't read a book. People sacrificed their life so that we could have that opportunity and we take it for granted. But it has to the action with it. We won't. We know what's going on. 
We know what that happened. It's time to come together and have some action for this thing, man. I just want to know what it's going to take to get the people to come together and move and move on the core. And uh, we almost to the break, to the halfway mark. Uh, I, I could chime in if you want. Do you have? Yeah. Yeah. You know, as far as the solidarity that you're talking about, uh, one, it's fleeting. It's not something that's going to last forever or even for a very long time. When you get everybody on the same page, it's usually in cases of emergencies. What you describe as having the boot, having the oppressor's boot on our neck. But, uh, you know, we was having this talk the other day about metaphors and being a little vague and stuff like that. With me, I'm very specific. I know exactly who my enemy is. I know exactly who has got their boot on my neck. I'm talking about these slavers, these modern-day human traffickers and slavers. And uh, that's been bringing people together across all spectrums. Just the other day, yesterday, I sat on a Zoom call where I was supposed to testify in Oregon about their three bills that they have. Uh, but I never got the chance to testify, and that was okay. I got to witness two secretaries of states, about a half a dozen senators, uh, a few activists and organizers all come on and talk about ending slavery in Oregon, ending slavery in the United States, and a bill to give inmates the right to vote in any in all the prisons in the state of Oregon, regardless of whatever they have may have done, that they could vote in any election. So I saw this with mostly white faces doing it, you know what I mean? And uh, on our main team, the core team, we got uh, Brother uh, Dennis is Puerto Rican, you know what I mean? Like, And he's looking out for his people over there in Puerto Rico and what they're going through and have gone through in the history of America. So the unifying thing that I've seen is the only one that ever existed, and that was uh, the fight to end constitutional legalized slavery, the kind that was done right in your face by the state. Uh, Not the illegal slavery, but legal slavery, where you was hiring and paying slave catchers and hiring and paying overseers and hiring and paying fugitive slave catchers who eventually became police forces and things. So for me, yeah, it's slavery. It it touches every part of our lives. Uh, You're on the phone right now because of it with me. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the phone you're using even has <clears throat> components in it made by illegal slave trade. <laughs> you know, so that's where I see the unity coming, and I only see it coming temporarily. Uh, after slavery ends, you can best believe everybody gonna be like, "Yo, it's my problem now." The problem that I said is next is next. <laughs> everybody gonna be like that. But at the at the beginning, you gotta have a unifying reason, a unifying force, something we can all get on the same page about and say yes. That is the priority, not a priority, but the priority. And I'll peace with that. Thank you, Brother Matt. And that is a profound understanding and one that I'm coming into myself right now. If y'all don't know, man, Brother Matt is like the lead, he's the leader of the abolition movement, man, that we got going on. And the brother has very profound understanding of what he is doing and his work. And what I want to see come about, and the title, it, it all fits up underneath the same category, just to be honest. So the tactics that they employ against us, the divide and conquer tactics, the chemical warfare with the drugs, the psychological warfare with the miseducation and their indoctrination, all of these things still fall up underneath that same title of slavery. 
because it's all geared toward and aimed at the same slavery system. We call it a caste system. We call it what you want to call it, but at the end of the day, it's downright slavery, point blank and period. If I might just so, interrupt you, know, you just momentarily, uh, what I'm saying is, uh, you know what, I apologize. Continue your thought. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be interrupting you. No, 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 you're right, though. I mean, I, I, this this the whole thing about it. And I'm glad that that situation occurred because I want to show you something. I'm 35 years old. I'm not sure exactly how old Max is, but I know he's my elder. And your elders have been here and done things that you ain't even thought about doing yet two, three times. They had the experience of applying the knowledge that produces wisdom. See, I can tell you the stove is hot. And you had a knowledge that the stove is hot, but until you actually touch it and feel the sensation for yourself, you have no true understanding of what it means that the stove is hot. That's wisdom. Knowledge plus the experience of the application of it. And this is what you get from your elders. So at all times, whenever the elders speak, we're supposed to always pause and listen, be quick to listen, and slow to speak. What you were saying, bro, Max? Well, one thing, I don't like to call myself a leader of this movement. I'm just another cog in the wheel, actually. You know, I, I'm, I'm the guy out front and off, often in this circle. So the people around me see a lot of me. And, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of teaching for many years, but I wouldn't call myself a leader. I think we're all leaders at this point. You know what I mean? If you're in it, you're in it to win it, <laughs> you know? And there's other people. You know who what, do. bro, Mac? We appreciate your humbleness. And I hate to cut you off, but this must be said. We appreciate your humbleness, but at the same time, understand for brothers like me that's sitting in a penitentiary that's been gone 15 years, and we don't know what's going on in the world, and we got this one man that come to the scene for us, and he put on for us, and he do, and he fight the the, the the fight, the good fight. You know what I'm saying? We look at you as a leader. You know what I'm saying? You, you inspire. All right. I, I appreciate people. that, brother. Uh, yeah, well, the thing that I did want to point so out just, is, you know, I'm also a poet. Yeah. I don't want every award there is to win in spoken word poetry, uh, and I've been doing that for my whole life. And it, there's specific reasons to use specific words. Slavery is illegal everywhere. It's illegal internationally. It's illegal nationally, supposedly. Uh, the people assume that it's supposed to be illegal. But the uh, synonyms and metaphors that describe a caste system like slavery are not illegal. For instance, mass incarceration, as we know right now, isn't illegal anywhere. It can't be abolished because it's not actually a system to be abolished. You can only continually fight it. And there's no laws to stop mass incarceration from doubling or tripling or quadrupling. I mean, well, how many is too many? <laughs> you know what I mean? How far up does the needle have to go before we go, that's enough? It, it's wrong. So I stick with words like slavery because it's illegal and it's something that holds people accountable. And it's the actual thing that they're doing, which is, you know, hunting you, capturing you, sometimes killing you or brutalizing you along the way, storing your body, forcing you to work. And then finally, if they feel like you've had enough punishment, they set you out into the world without citizenship rights or even human rights anymore for the rest of your life, except under special circumstances. So these are the reasons why right. I stick to it. The words are powerful. Using the right words is extremely important. And I'll peace with that. Thank you. Exactly what he said, and that is the reason why we listen to the L. In layman's terms, what he just gave you, 
was these if people have you set up this mute. chessboard. Oh, so we're not. In layman's terms, the chessboard is set up strategically. All right, you're listening to that, live from the plantation. I think Brother Mikael is on mute. On his end? Yeah, he's and already. Nine five two oh your line is back open. Thank you, thank you. Hey Mike, hey man. You made it so plain and so clear then, brother. Oh, I mean it's it, it's awesome what you just said, man. And, and, and I pray that anybody that's on so that, that, that they was able to um all right, we'll My dear, my dear, my dear, I hear the shots ring, lay on the floor, I don't fear anyone but the maker, cause we could never murder hate, but can murder a hater, what's a more American way than trying to give them a taste of their own medicine, prevalent ethnic rebels, a revolution of melanin, but to move to the ghetto, we must improve the development, brought some food for the fellowship, got the news for my brethren, call the goons in the government, come correct the corruption, break the racial construction, building up, in the spirit of liberation, give me life or I'ma take it, that's my human right, university, you and I, we could be unified, but when you speaking truth beyond your youth, they want you euthanized. Creeping through the night, is something moving, right? Hold up. Intruders. Wait a minute. Intruders. Tell me right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up. Wait a minute. Tell me right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up, watch over me and my body, man. Trouble all around, can't trust nobody, man. Devil on my heels, and they all wanna cross me. Uh. Loyalty to God, and my loyalty to Bobby. Uh. I'm the Panther man, always lying on us to the cameraman. Death all around, pray we never light a candle. Knowing somebody gotta die for our freedom. Know they plotting on me at the sounds of the battery. Ain't nobody I fear, I'm ready. Watch my back while I press on steady. Load my gun full clip, no heads. The government, the pigs, it's a Seat like a lips. Blood thy hood with the blood of the soldier. Four black men look over thy shoulder. Pro got the target on me. But we don't stand down to the people all free. Hold up. Wait a minute. Tell me right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up. Wait a minute. Now I want to fight. The corruption has moved in view. And I, and I, and I can't let you get away. Way, 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 way. Can't let you get away. Way, 
corruption has moved in view of my sight. Brother Mika, you got a yeah, you got another piece, Max. You got another piece, Max. Welcome back to the second half of Live from the Plantation. Sister Savannah, did you uh do you have I'm information here. about the guy in Texas? Uh, no. So um, what I was reading about, and I was hoping that we get, we got a chance to talk about it on the second half. Um, and I was going back because I didn't want to mix my facts up, but um, it's all over the news about um, there was a man in Oklahoma um, who was a part of a, a mass relief. Um, I, I think he petitioned in either late 2019 or, or early 2020. Um, and I, there were like 800 people who had, um, petitioned the court in Oklahoma for a sentence commutation, um, as part of a, a bill that was passed in, in November of 2019. Uh, and he was granted, um, he was granted parole. Basically, I think he, he had 20 years on a pro- probation violation. Uh, so he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And uh, after he was granted parole, um, he killed uh, three people, and in a, a very, and not only killed them. Um, the report says that um, he cut the hearts out, and he cut the hearts out and cooked them with potatoes. Um, they believed that he was under the influence of drugs at the time, um, but. You know, what caught my eye about the case was that, you know, they were talking about how, you know, when he was in front of the court, how he just wept. Um, And so, of course, now, you know, the DA was reported saying, like, you know, for the criminal justice reform advocates, uh, you know, that they need to answer to the family as to why they believe that this person was a low-level or nonviolent offender. And I hate to say the word offender, but um, that's really something that we need to look at. Like, you know, we always, a lot of times people pass legislation or, or, you know, they pass laws uh, looking at low-hanging fruit, right? And, you know, drug laws are usually the first thing, property and and theft crimes, because in, in their mind, in their eyes, like no one got hurt, right? But we know a lot of times people commit these crimes because of substance abuse issues, right, because of um, drug addiction. And we never know what the outcome could be when someone is not in their right mind, when they're in a drug-induced psychosis or drug-induced delirium. Not making excuses for any of what this man did. Um, however, now this story, this story in particular, is and now will be used as an example of why P 
people should not be granted parole, right, and should not be shown compassion. And the VA was actually quoted um, in the article uh, saying something like, you know, this is why, you know, we give these amounts of time, you know, because, you know, we know what's going to happen. Well, nobody knows what's going to happen when somebody you know, parole. But um, I think it's important that we talk about that because there's a lot of bills, especially, you know, with the National Freedom Movement parole initiative, like we are pushing uh, for, you know, especially in the age of the pandemic, like, you know, compassionate release and really taking a look at everyone's eligibility to reenter into a community and into society. But I think we always overlook the fact that the jails and the prisons and the detention centers are not being held for the lack of assistance with rehabilitating, especially for things like substance abuse issues, right? And so, yeah, there's some personal accountability. You know, when you're incarcerated, you know, you have to, you know, you be motivated and you have to work towards, you know, doing what you got to do so that you don't, you know, Reoffend or you know commit the same offense. However, you've got to be given the tools that you need in order to do so. So I think you know yes, you know if you reoffend, you know you should be held accountable. But also we need to start looking at the prisons, right, and the jails, and looking at you know what is their role in this, and how are they, what are they doing to reduce recidivism? So I think that's a, a great place to start, especially in this story. Is like you know, taking a look at at what type of services are being provided so that people do not go back into prison or or do not commit crimes that are, you know, are worse. You know, like this guy was in for a drug-related offense, and now he's, you know, he's killed three people, you know. So I just want to know what you think about that. I don't know if you heard about it, but you guys tell me what y'all think about that because this is, you know, as advocates, so we're always um, advocating for, you know, compassion for everyone. So I just wanted to know what, what everybody thought about if y'all had a chance to read about it or hear about it, but chime in. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. This, this is Brother Elijah again. And when you started your story, Savannah, I really... I, I was thinking that you was talking about the story here in Alabama because that's the, pretty much the same similar situation where this guy uh, got out of prison. He was, uh, matter of fact, he stayed in prison a long time, but he only had, like, property crime. He had no violent crime, and he was finally paroled, and now he's charged with three homicides after getting out of prison. And so now what... Uh, the lawmakers and thing did what 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 happened behind his actions and I can't even say the man is guilty because I don't know, but they got him charged with it. But I also know that from being incarcerated inside of Alabama prison and catching a crime in Alabama, catching a case in Alabama, I do know that they would plant a case on you. So I don't know if this man guilty or not. But what I do know is that they took this situation from a guy that didn't have a violent case, and now he's charged with three homicides. He haven't went to trial yet, but he's uh, in, currently in lockup. But this is what the lawmakers did behind his actions, so they say. They went and started changing bills and changing laws to target violent offenders, which is not being racist, 
but about 90% of the population are black and considered as violent offenders. So they started targeting, they, what they did, they came back and changed the laws for anybody that has a class A or a class B felon and uh, start making it hard for you to make parole. It's almost making it possible for you to get out now if you have a violent case. And like you say, how do we know who's who or who's going to do what? Because you can't charge everybody or you can't hold everybody accountable for what one person does. And that's just what the state of Alabama is done. They have charged every person that's convicted of a class A felon or a class B felon and charged us and made this thing tougher for us to make parole because of this one man icon. And I don't think that's fair. And not changing the subject of every, anything, but I was called up today to go to uh, classification had no idea what it was, and the lady handed me some parole papers. She said, you need to fill these papers out and have them ready Monday because you're going to meet the parole man. Well, I should be rejoicing because finally, after being waiting a year and two months to go up for parole because I was supposed to go up in 2020, I should be rejoicing, but I can't rejoice. And the reason I can't rejoice is because of this guy's action that they're charging everybody with now affects me. So I can't rejoice because now they made it so tough to get out of prison. I'm actually terrified. I'm terrified because I'm scared because of what this man was charged with after being released from prison that now is rolled over to me. And the only thing I see by receiving my parole papers today that I should be rejoicing, the only thing I am, I'm terrified because all I know is that the parole board right now in Alabama, they are not letting anybody go. And I don't have the strength to do another five years. My wife been with me for 42 years. I don't believe she has the strength to do another five years with me in prison. And this thing is scary. And it's something that needs to be done. And people shouldn't be held accountable for one person icing. A man should be held accountable for his own icing. And I hope I didn't get off too far off track with that. But we are dealing with the same thing in Alabama. And I'm peace with that. Man, peace, brother, alive, man. My heart go out to you, my brother. Man, listen, there's two aspects to what she just stated in regards to both things that they just spoke on. The first is transparency and accountability, which you're asking for, asking for in Alabama. Transparency and accountability in regards to our habilitation. I don't like to call it rehabilitation because you can't rehabilitate somebody that you never gave ability to in the first place. You actually deterred them from ever having ability. So you can't rehabilitate somebody in that, in, in that form. But our abilitators, we're not getting accountability for that, for our clear records, for the programs that we complete. We're not getting a criterion to go by to complete for parole. We're not getting to see the parole board. They're not taking us into accountability for how we present ourselves at the moment, right now, and not for our crimes. 15, 20 years ago. So that's the first thing, transparency and accountability. Now, the second aspect of the situation that both of them spoke on is substance abuse. This is not a criminal crisis because it's one that they perpetuated. We know, especially in the black community, we've seen Freeway Ricky Ross get off of his charges because he was able to prove in a court of law that he was used by the CIA in a plot to poison his own people for the Cointel Pro program. And, and other programs like it. This is a known fact. 
So you can't hold these people accountable for what you did to them. That's that's insane. And we all know the medical and physical condition of people caught up in this subject abuse crisis. So it's very hard to hold them accountable. But those are the two aspects of that. I also want to say this. When the brother spoke on them talking about violent offenders and them using these things as tools to keep us locked down. I spoke last week. I told you that brother uh, uh, was coming down here, seeing us, going to Montgomery. He was collecting information and data, computing it, putting it together, and he found that the violent offenders weren't even a part of the major recidivism uh, number, that we were the least likely to recommit, to reoffend. But they're not letting us go. And then when these politicians campaign on this, I'm going to be tough on crime rhetoric, everybody knows what they're talking about. The language is masked and disguised for their demographics to tell their people that they're going to be tougher on us, on the lower class, on those who are expendable, so to speak. That's how they speak to each other. They know what they're voting for when they go to vote. So you need to understand what is going on. You need to understand these things. Number one, substance abuse is not a criminal crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. Number two, we need transparency and accountability for each individual person going through the criminal justice system. Judge me based off of me, not off of nobody else, off of my actions, my deeds, how I present myself, the strive and the stride that I take in order to habilitate and reintroduce myself in society. Judge me off that. And the fact that all the crime and, and, and punishment don't even correlate. If you look at crime statistics and the punishment that goes hand-in-hand with them, they don't even correlate. For those who know, who know their history, who know their studies, they know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to break this down. But for those who don't, know that when the war on drugs was issued, drug use and drug crime was at an all-time low. Just 10 years before that, a committee was put together to do a, a survey on the prison system, the criminal justice system, the adult facilities and the juvenile facilities. They came back at the time it was roughly under 300,000 people in prison. They came back and said that prison, not only does it not deter crime, but it breeds crime. Because you'll take a child that you've been sold in your cash system, roped them in, however you roped them in, you the profit off of it, put him in this steel cage, and he might know one way of survival and come come out learning 10 criminal track crafts. So they call for closing of all juvenile facilities and half of the adult facilities. But instead, in spite of them finding, instead they revamped their whole system. Instead, they sent the ball rolling on the second installation of their CAD system. I know people hate to hear me say that word, but it's the only thing that describes it. Because in layman's terms, even though Webster's Dictionary said a CAD system is a form of rigid social stratification, in layman's terms, it is a funnel used to funnel a particular person or people into a particular group or class of society. This is how they have handled us from day one. Everybody in different in different uh, aspects. So that is very important, man, to take into consideration and to understand when dealing with our situation and our circumstances. And I want the people to please chime in, comment, let us know what you think about these things. How do you feel? 
Brother Max, do we have any call? Hey, what's up, Brother Mikael? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brother Benny just coming in, Johnny, around. Just catching in, giving you a break. Brother Benu, we 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 didn't talk about uh, tonight. What we have tried to open up the platform for is to get an understanding from the people of how they feel about unifying and organizing with other citizens for our freedom, for our for an end of slavery. You feel what I'm saying? How they feel about yeah. that. And we've also talked about Senate Bill, uh, California Senate Bill 775, and the situation with the man in Texas that went off with a nonviolent crime and committed three murders. That was in, uh, that was in Oklahoma. I'm that sorry. I'm Oklahoma. sorry. Oklahoma. That's okay. okay. But I just want to chime in on that, though, because um, the reason why it caught my attention is because um, – you know, my brother received his life sentence as part of the Texas habitual offender statute. Um, and, you know, it was his third felony, but the third felony in which someone got hurt. Um, so what they did in his case was, you know, they essentially stacked charges on him to be sure um, that they, they'd they make one stick. So they basically charged him with, um, an aggravated assault causing serious bodily injury. The the jury didn't even believe that the injuries were serious, meaning they caused they would cause like a marked indifference to human life. So um, because they had additionally charged him with aggravated assault uh, with a deadly weapon, which you know with a deadly weapon in the state of Texas, essentially you just have to it has to be like intentionally and knowingly causing serious bodily harm, and there's no real definition to what that could look like. And that's the one charge that stuck. However, the weapon was his hands. And it's like, you know, if I go out and, you know, somebody pisses me off, excuse my language, and I hit them, you know, even if even if it's in defense of myself, you know, um, I, I don't know in that moment what type of injury it's going to cause. You know, and and in his crime, he was under the influence of drugs. So, this that particular case really um, it sparked an interest in me just because when they were talking about the man being under the influence of drugs, I had the opportunity to see my brother's body cam footage from when he was arrested, and he was in a psychotic delirium. Like he, I you know, I can't even bear to watch it. But um, then, you know, it's like, you know, when you're looking at sentencing, like Brother Mikael said, like, you know, crime and punishment are two different things. And basically the judge didn't even listen to what the jury said. He just was going to do what he wanted to do, and, and that he did, right? And the, the whole thing about post-conviction work, and we all, you know, everybody on the call knows, like, it's an uphill battle to try to undo and you know, even when somebody is is innocent, you know, it's up. So imagine if, if if in the case someone is guilty of something or anything, you know, it, it's almost uh, you're fighting a losing battle. Almost, it's a lot of work. So I just wanted to to put that in there because that's why it really sparked my interest because it was it hit close to home for me. Understood. Understood. I just want to add to that, like, you know, um, 
in Alabama when they was when they was going through the process of basically restructuring the parole board with the new house bill where they took all the authority and changed all the rules and added more layers to it and added more uh, um, overseers, basically people who can come in and overrule the parole board. Like, they accused this guy, Jimmy Spencer, of getting out while on parole. He was also had previously uh, had been convicted of crimes that didn't involve any injury, but he got out, and they alleged that he went and killed uh, two elderly people and a child. And, like, in less than a year, like, before he was even indicted, the state of Alabama came in and reached a million-dollar settlement with the family of the victims um, based on the fact that he was on parole. But, like, there are so many people who, in these situations, like, the state does not hold themselves responsible, but we know what these institutions are all about. We know the lack of ability for someone to be rehabilitated. They know that people are coming out in worse conditions. Y'all excuse me for a As the brother was saying, though, they know what they're doing, so it's not a broken system. The system is doing exactly what they wanted to do. And in regards to what Brother Elijah was speaking on earlier, he was pointing out the fact, and I want to say that Brother Max, too, was also aiming at the fact that this game of theirs is structured around certain language, that language being contained in their documents, uh, mainly concerning us, the UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code. So I'm not going to get too deep into that right now, but that's what they were pointing at, is that if you don't know how the system is set up to use you and to dehumanize and enslave you, then you have no idea of how to get yourself from up underneath the thumb of that system. So for anyone who is trying to get from up underneath that system, I implore you to study the UCC. Also uh, pull up Redemption uh, 3.5 and look at how they paraded in front of you, Uh, even in movies, The Matrix, The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz is the whole demo that they ran on us. First time they presented us with the Federal Reserve, we didn't go for it. Even way back then, 1912, American people were smart enough to know that if we allowed the the, uh, international bankers to control and monopolize our economy, that we would be enslaved to them. We knew that way back then, and we said, no. What did they do in response? They crashed our way of life and told us if we wanted to get out of them soup lines that we would take it. That was enacted in the tornado of the federal uh, of uh, Wizard of Oz. The, the banker came, wanted the land, the farm. Kansas represents the center of America. Said, no. Dog, Toto, nipped out of Toto in Latin means everything. She said, I'm coming back for it all, even the dog, everything. The tornado represents the move they made to put us in, in calamity in order to make us bow down and accept what they were feeding us. After that, we woke up in the matrix, the Wizard of Oz. Ounces, gold, silver, opium, everything they used, they took from us or used against us is measuring their ounces. The silver slippers which is what they were before they were changed. The ruby red represents the silver. The gold road, the yellow brick road, represents the gold. This is what was taken from us on May Day 
and put in the bank for Frankfurt, Germany and their international banking system. While they fed us what the Rothschilds print out today is a billion dollars worth of bills at a charge of 2000 American dollars and charge up 7% interest rate on it. It's how it is slavery by every means of the word. It's slavery. Turn around, they lulled us to sleep in the poppy field to steal the slipper. What's the pop? The opium, the drugs. They lulled the people to sleep. And then they robbed them, raped them, pillaged and plundered them. The Emerald City stands for the money made out of thin air that they compensate us with. The Tin Man, the tax identification number on your birth certificate. The Straw Man, your all caps name at the bottom, at the top of your birth certificate. Not a real person must be represented, underwritten by maritime law. We hold up international international uh, treasury. We hold up commerce. People don't know what this prison system and the slavery of the American people is. America is the backbone of this entire planet. And if we don't understand how they utilize and run that game, how that chessboard is set up and operate, we can never defend ourselves against it, nor ever dream of fighting back against it. And I'll, I'll peace with that. Any callers, man? Um, everybody who uh, is on has their line open. We had one that Benu mentioned, 2136. Your line is open, too. Oh, uh, my name is Cobina Bantu Sango uh, with the African People's Socialist Party. And um, I wanted to come on. I, I missed uh, a lot of the meetings. So I'm not sure of everything, but I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to come on and say is that on Monday, the March 1st, we are having a Mafundi Lake Day. The African People's Socialist Party of the Southern Region declared uh, March 1st, which is Mafundi Lake's uh, birthday, uh, to be Mafundi Lake Day in 2019. And we want to uphold uh, this comrade. And I know Bindu has done uh, work with the comrade and has done two interviews that's on YouTube, if anybody don't know who Mufundi Lake is. And uh, and if possible, Bindu can send the the, uh, the flyer that has the, the, the link for people to register and participate in that. We want to uphold the comrade and continue to work to fight for liberation and fight uh, for uh, political prisoners and our comrades that is behind the walls because it's one struggle. So of our reality. And we have to organize our, ourselves to be able to um, change this relationship. So March 1st, uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, we will be having a virtual Mafundi Lake Day, uh, uh, upholding political political prisoners, upholding uh, the work to free our brothers and sisters, upholding um, and, and calling on people to advance this struggle uh, for our liberation and and to move beyond, you know, uh, uh, this 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 liberal and and opportunist 
type of uh, uh, organizing that that they put these leaders in front of us. They put certain movements in front of us in a way that it distracts people from from our real struggle. And and we want to you know and hope that everybody on this call and that you connected to can participate and and learn more about Mufundi Lake, contribute to this uh, process, or uh, to organize people to continue to work that the Alabama movement is doing and, and, and that the party is doing to uh, uphold our brothers and sisters behind the walls and call out who the real criminals are, and that's this government. Oh, 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 Yeah, um, and we had a rehearsal tonight. That's why I was late to, to the call because uh, we're getting um, prepared for the event and, like, you know, just to be on there with his family, his wife, his children, comrades that he's been known for like longer than most of us have been alive. Like these are people they they established bonds that that nothing could ever be broken, and that's what made the revolution so real. That's what made it so strong and powerful. Like we 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 having this conversation tonight talking about peace and unity and stuff. Like these these are elders and our ancestors. They mastered that. They understood. They understood the value of that in the overall struggle. Like how we were not going to even be capable of fighting against the enemy until we first resolved our issues with each other, you know, and we had a choice to make, like, we could sit down and resolve these issues amicably, uh, peacefully, uh, reach, a, reach a treaty, or we could go to war with each other, but revolutionaries were not fixing to lead people in war with each other, you know what I'm saying, so they worked through the differences and came up with methods, conflict resolution, uh, mediation tactics and stuff for us to do that. And these are these are our teachers. You know, we know these we know these signs. We know these things. We know that we're supposed to be practicing these things, but you know, we've lost our discipline to a degree. And we gotta get that discipline back and understand that without unity, you know, we can't have anything. But with unity we can accomplish whatever we choose. You know, we can do whatever we wanna do. If we wanna change the role, we can change it. If we wanna change life without the role, we can change it. If we wanna uh Abolish the death penalty and be advocates for life. We can do that. You know, we can do whatever we want to do. You know, but it takes unity. If we want to lead a revolutionary guard, we can do that. You know what I'm saying? We want to lead a, a nonviolent movement. We can do that. But it takes unity to do anything in our situation. You know, and um, until we get Brother to that point. Yes. Can 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 I say this in regards to missing Mufundi and what you're speaking on? I always you 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 are strictly about action, but kinetic about action. A lot of people that is on the lines they want action, and I oftentimes speak about education, and we say you know we inform now. We need to we need to act, but when you talk about Mister Mufundi, and you talk about these. Legacies that these men left behind That is what birthed people like me and you So I just want to put this in clarification And say this Their actions, Mr. Mufundi's actions And other people like him Their actions made them the men that they are But It was their words to us That made us the men That we are And that's why I put so much importance On education On enlightening your fellow brother Your fellow citizen because a lot of times what you know and you think other people know, they just don't know. 
or they may have an idea but don't have no true understanding of it. If you can bridge that gap, you can create the future leaders. You can create more Bimu Rasons, more Mikaels, more Phonetic Jefferson. And that's what we need. That's what we have to have in order to unite the people. And I just wanted to say that, bro, because I, I love that man. He, When I came to prison, bro, I was a young drug addict. I was indoctrinated. I was abused, used. I didn't have no bearings on life or understanding of what it meant to be a man or to be uh, a citizen or any of that, to be responsible. I had no idea. All I knew was survival because that's what they gave me. I came from the crack epidemic from underneath a bridge. All I knew was survival, make sure I ate, make sure my mother ate, make sure my little siblings ate. That's all I knew. That's all a lot of us knew because of our situation and circumstance that was created for us. And it were men like these who put that in its proper perspective for us, who gave us something to stand on and something to shoot for. And from that platform, we have gone on to study our situation and our circumstance on an in-depth, intimate level and become, you know what I'm saying, leaders and proprietors of freedom in our own right. It is through this process that we will create more like us, and it is through this process that we will shape and mold our situation and circumstance. And that is very important to me. I just wanted to point that out because without men like this and without that process, there would be no miss. Thanks for letting me share. I wanna and I wanna add on like, you know, when we when we talk about what we got going on right now, Free Alabama, the Bear, um, National Freedom Movement on, like I shared some of his information yesterday. Like I wish people would just take a few minutes to go back and read these documents that they that they that they wrote, read the press statements that they put out and read the type of struggle that that, that they were in. And you'll see like Nothing we're doing is new. Like they were, they do. Matter of fact, they were doing more stuff then than we doing now. Like they, when they got, when they were in prison, they went to war with the police. They went on war strikes. They went on boycott. They they tow stuff up. You know what I'm saying? They they had they had to set a motto in in the inmates for action. That's the name of the revolutionary organization they found in him, Bro Gamble, uh, George Dobbins, and so many more. Like they they motto was. If you kill one of ours, we kill two of yours. And, like, it's like prisons, the, the prisons that are named after these guards is named after these guards that they were in war with, you know what I'm saying? They were killing, they were killing us, and, and, and we were responding, you know. And they lived up to that creed because they decided that they were going to be men and revolutionaries and nothing else. They was not going to be nothing else. They was not going to be slaves. They weren't going to be chumps. They weren't going to be cowards. They weren't going to be nothing but men and revolutionaries. And anybody that transgressed against that, they didn't care. They didn't take no assessment. And that's the reason why they had the success that they had. That's, that's what their legacy is all about. They lived up to their models and their creeds and the principles that they stood on. And that's the thing that we've been, that's, that's what we've lacked. That's what we've lost, you know. And so, um, I mean, just, just read the stories, man. Inmates for action. And they the ones that, that they started the van rise. When they got out, they went in, they they did this after they got out. They were in prison first, then they got out. And then some of them ended up coming back. And, you know what I'm saying? But when they got out, they never stopped the struggle. They they organized the van rides and carried families all over the state, did fundraisers, the, the what they call a participatory defense. 
going to court for their comrades when they caught cases and stuff, standing up fighting. They the ones they did all this back in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. You know what I'm saying? So we inherited. We it's like it's like we see we see people inherit millions of dollars, houses and cars and woo. We inherited our treasures too. Like they left treasures for us, for those of us who got caught behind these these, these enemy lines. They left they left lessons and teachings and experience and, and shared knowledge. Like they they gave us like they, I mean you know they prepared us for what we were fixing to, to um, go up against. So this stuff that we doing like they've been doing. You know what I'm saying? We we do things differently now in our era, and that's the way it always has been. But like there's nothing new that we're doing. You know what I'm saying? We're doing less. And that's the reason why we're being oppressed more. We're being oppressed more because we're doing less. We're doing less as far as fighting back against the, the oppressor. We we fight more with each other now than they were. Like this, the stuff that was going on now, that was going on back whenever, they stopped it. Like the rape culture and the, the sexual abuse culture and the violence abuse and the robbing and stuff, they stopped all of that. They pulled up on the ones who were committing those acts. If you ever read Albert Woodpocker's book, that's that's how they lived back then. Like that was they was doing that. The revolutionaries was doing that. The Panthers was doing that in every state. They was confronting the problems in the prison, you know. And so now we're not doing it. And that's it. The, the saying goes: evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And so it's a lot of good men right now that we not you know we're not fulfilling our duties and obligations to the people. Everybody hollering power to the people. Look online. You'll see it everywhere. Power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the people. But how many people are serving the people in these communities? You know? And then what are you serving? See, that's another problem. Are you serving the people? Are you serving them life or are you serving them death? And then if it's being done, something being done wrong, who's doing something about it? Evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And they didn't raise us like this. I mean, the teachings that they left us is the foundation of our movement. Like, that's, that lets you know the the value of the, the, the treasures that we inherit. Like, it's enough to sustain the movement. Probably probably all of them, probably all of them are passed on, transition. They teach us still is carrying movements in prisons around the country. We represent around the region. Like, throughout our movement, we did what we did. We give birth to other, other factions and you know, when you see people create things like this inside of prison, these are the men that 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 inspire. That is their spirit that's alive, their teachings that are alive, that still have life in them, still have validity to them. And we scared of some of them. We like some of them, but we scared of some of them. But they they didn't fear nothing. Like they didn't have no problem. They didn't fear nothing. Like when they had a problem, they dealt with it. But they they understood who the enemy was. See, that's the thing. They understood who the enemy was. And they dealt with the enemy. Big facts. Big facts, bro. Understanding who the enemy is and dealing with the enemy. That's the major topic of tonight's program. Do you understand who your enemy is? And are you prepared to deal with your enemy? Because we're going to war with each other, man. We're ready to kill each other over perceived infractions. Oh, yeah, this is it. We call the prison putting hits on folks. But these folks is carrying out his rights 
right in the ranks. I think, I, I think it's important too. I think it's important to say that because of the work that the Black Power Revolution did in the '60s, um, that the state learned just like we learned, and they came up with strategies to make us divisive. And they do that shit all the time. And we have to help. That's why we can't get into, you know, you have to sum up what's happening to the people and and even, like, uh, the contradictions that exist in the struggle, but guiding people to the core contradiction, which is colonialism. And even the beef that we, we may have, it's colonialism that created that beef. You know, just like the crowd in the bucket type of uh, theory, the issue is not what the crowd's doing to each other. The real contradiction is who in the hell put the crowd in the damn bucket in the first place? You know, because whoever put them in the, in the bucket controls their condition to make them have to fight one another in order for their survival. So we have to sum that up and help people understand that, our real, that the real contradiction is our relationship to colonialism. And if we don't overturn that, they fight to keep us divided and shit like that. But we have to fight to unify our people and understand that we have a common enemy. And regardless of what our contradictions is with each other, we have a common enemy that we have to uh, unite to overcome. And that's what the struggle is. And that's what Mufundi Latham did. They, they stood on principle and the core contradiction. So they were able to understand the contradiction that we have with one another you know what I'm saying? It was as a consequence of us being in this fucked up situation that, that they don't put us in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. True uh-huh. indeed. True indeed. True indeed. I mean, and um, we, we, like, we like at a fork in the road. Like, we don't even do one or two things because we, we in a situation now where we can literally pass. You know, people be hollering about Armageddon and all this and that, but I mean, what's going on in the world today, the way that they running these prisons, the way that they changing these laws, they still are trying to execute a man, you know, they still trying to uh, execute Brother Willie Smith, like, we can literally perish based on what's going on right now, the drugs, the overdoses, they're letting all of that go, the suicides, it's driving people to the point where you can't, we can't take it no more. The violence. The DOJ has said they have a culture of violence. That means that even if you're not a violent person, in order to survive, you may very well have to engage in violence on a deadly level. You know, and anybody could be bringing death to you. We saw what happened at Donaldson. Anybody can bring death to you. Less than eight days later, another uh, death due to violence um, of the system at St. Clair. And same night. Uh, another person died from a drug overdose. At the same night, another COVID-19 death. Like, anyone's number can be called right now. So we're we facing a situation where we either going to unite or we're going to literally perish. We're going to literally perish because death is all around us right now. And they were able to overcome it. like that. And, 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 and I remember, I remember, like, this had to be within the first, Two or three lessons. The first two or three lessons that that I received from a funny, and I, I know where they got. I know where I got them at because I sent them home. But like one of the first things they gave us, he gave us was 
the uh, behavior modification program that the state had came with. And the reason why he gave us that is because this is what the state came with to combat what they were doing. Like, you doing something, you have a success, they're going to figure out a way to come with a move to counter that. So now you have to come with something to counter that. And so he was teaching us, well, this is what they do, and this is how they operate, and this is how they program, and this is how they indoctrinate, and this is how they divide, and this is how they conquer, and this is how they was able to dismount what we had put together. And just showed us, you know what I'm saying? You got now, it's up to us to figure out, like, what we're going to do now, you know, with all the resources we got, with the technology we got, with the experiences that we have, with what we know about the world today, what we're going to do now. And so we came up with our solution, you know, when we were successful. I mean, people need to think back now. People need to think back. In 2014, 2015, 2016, man, the brotherhood was there. The sisterhood was there. It was all love. It was all peace. Every if you go back and listen to the archives of the People's Platform, my old blog talk radio shows on our on our station. Um, it was plain and clear. Everybody, peace queen, peace king, peace woo woo. It was nothing but love. It was peace. It was unity. And you know, we was able to we was able to we was able to see a little light at the end of the tunnel. And thousands of people, the prison population dropped down over seven thousand people. The prison population dropped down. Two prisons closed down, um, Holman closed down, the Draper closed down. They opened up partially, but that's a lot of space, a lot of movement, a lot of laws were changed. You know, people went back, got their time off. It's a lot of people that made parole. Y'all think about all the brothers we know that had violent crimes that made parole during that time frame. And now think about if they had went up now on the Charlie Gratic and now on the Cam Ward. Just look at the difference. Just think about Reef, T-Ryan, and Yab, and I think Yab might EOS. But just think about all the different people. I could just go on and on and on nine people. Ira Phone Bay, Eric B, um, uh, Rerun, um, just, you know, just, uh, what's the name, Big Moan. There's so many people that made parole and got out and went to the street. They could they couldn't make parole today. There wasn't no coincidence. There wasn't no good luck charm. The people understood what that what, what was going on. They knew that they had to do something. But then they came back and figured out a way to counteract us. And we ain't made no move on them yet for the moves that they done. But it starts with unity. Before we can execute our next move, we first got to get our unity back. So the conversation about, you know, like like he like like he said, um, they were about action. Like that's all they knew was action. That's what they did. They learned and got their experience from taking action. When they got the lockup, that's when they were studying and teaching and passing information around. <clears throat> gotta take some action. Man. But before we get to that part, gotta have unity. If you don't have that, you have nothing. You just I mean, just think about fighting the war. Just think about you, your brother. You got three brothers, and it's, it's, it's ten folks out there. You going out there, you and your brothers ain't fighting together. Whoever out there, somebody's going to get wiped out. Somebody's going to get wiped out. You know, and that's what we're doing right now. We out there on, some of us out there on the front line. We running out there, there's two or three of us, we getting wiped out. We're just getting wiped out because we ain't unified. But everybody feeling the same pain, the same oppression. 
And like you said, colonialism is the same oppressor. Dear brother, I want to point out the fact that these people have not only tried to assassinate you and brother Kinetic, but they did the same thing and used the same tactics against our predecessors before us. I'd have been stabbed in my head, in my in my abdomen, had my lung collapsed while the police, the entire ship, stood at the window and watched, and nobody would come through the door. I walked myself to the infirmary with one lung on a rainy day, the day that the helicopter couldn't land. They knew I was going to die. So it took 45 minutes for the ambulance to get here and another 45 for it to get me to Jackson Hospital. These people have poisoned me twice. Why would they go to such great lengths for somebody as insignificant as us if what we were saying wasn't the truth, if what we were doing wasn't a threat? So I implore everybody that's listening to this call to take everything that you've heard tonight seriously. Understand it. Understand that you are part of this, regardless if you want to be or not. I don't care if you white, black, Christian, Muslim. You at the bottom of the totem pole over here. You ain't a part of that one percent. You ain't getting your just due. In the store, you a slave. The whole world is set up off our blood, sweat, and tears. What you gonna do? How we gonna do it? The brothers got platforms for it. We got ways and remedies. But it takes the consolidated and combined power of the people in order to push these agendas forward. If we don't come together now, knowing what we know, will we help? That's my question to the people. Please chime in before we close up. Brother Cobain, I think we just got a few minutes left. If anybody want to chime in, um, please press 1. We're going to give out some more pardon information for March the 1st. And then after he gets done, I, I think Savannah's still on. She can give information for April the 3rd, just so everyone can know what we have upcoming um, that we need support. I don't think Cobina gave any contact information. Oh, Brother Cobina, you still on? Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, we're going to do a live event, uh, a virtual uh, my funny late day, March 1st, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, on on Monday, March 1st, 6 p.m. Central Time. And you can uh, go to Eventbrite, uh, my funny late day, and register for the event. If if you got any questions, you know, don't hesitate to hit me up, you know, uh, 256-256. Five one seven two one three six. But you can go to the Eventbrite, my Fundy Late Day, and uh, it, it'll pop up. And if you have any problem, like I said, you can hit that number up. We want you to be there at ten and uphold, you know, the comrade, the legacy, the work, and and you know, we want to win as many people to not just hold them up, but to continue the work that uh, my Fundy did. For who? All right, um, April 3rd, the National Freedom Movement will be holding 
uh, Pathway to Freedom Parole Initiative. Uh, we'll be having them in different states around the country. If you listen to somewhere you want to host an event in your state, get in contact with us. Our, our contact information is one national freedom movement at gmail.com. That's the number one and national freedom movement at gmail.com. If you want to get in contact with us, we're going to be organizing definitely in the state of Alabama. Uh, other organizers from other states, um, should they own if they want to come on and share, um, please do. But we're trying to have this event. I mean, we're trying to get parole situated in the state of Alabama, and we're also um, calling for the reinstatement of federal parole uh, to free our brothers and sisters because we know they've been dealing with 85% and above for a lot longer than we have. Uh, their situation is much more bleak. The drug laws are much more um, intensive. So uh, we, we, we advocate for, for our brothers and sisters. And the federal penitentiaries also. So uh, if you're on the state level, you want to get involved, um, get in contact, link up with us, let's organize. If you're on the federal level, uh, wherever you are, you know, um, you can do it anywhere. They got people from, from all over the United States and federal prisons all over the United States. Just do something somewhere uh, to lift up this parole initiative because we got to get people out of prison um, before it's too late. we got to get them out before it's too late, and now is the time. So uh, we thank everyone for coming and joining us tonight. Oh, Benny, uh, can, you, can you send me that information so I can get other forces into that meeting? And uh, Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to be hollering at you, too, because Louisiana, uh, Louisiana United International is doing some similar work when they, they have done some effective stuff that I think it would be good if we can make the link between the Alabama movement and, and Louisiana United International. But send me the link and uh, so I can get some people. Okay, I'm going to get you to shoot me your email after we get off of this call, and that way I can plug you in all the stuff, our toolkit and everything, and you can go in there and get whatever you need. So we appreciate it. Uh, Brother Mikael, go ahead and close us out, man. All right, brother Matt, let's rock and roll. We out of here. We'll see y'all again next Thursday night. Uh, 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Same time, same location. Live from the plantation. Thank you for joining. Peace. Abolition. 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 We are always unsafe living in our skin in this country. It's a permanent condition. Our people are stopped. We are frisked. We are criminalized. We are targeted, we are invaded, we are jailed, and we are killed. The machine grinds on, and we struggle to identify one culprit, one officer, one bad apple, but there isn't just one. So many of us are afraid to speak the word. We are afraid to lay claim to it. It's too awful to believe. No, no, no. It seems too conspiratorial, too pessimistic, too alienating, too something. Yet there it is on the forefront of our minds and at the tip of our tongues. When we are feeling brave and safe among those we love and trust, we sometimes whisper the word. Genocide. 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 Genocide.
Abolition. Abolition. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.